Amen. Thank you, Molly. Good morning. Res kids, you guys are dismissed to go up to class. Uh, after the ushers clear the aisle, after the kids clear the aisles, ushers come forward to receive the morning's tithes and offerings. We're in a series right now on the Sermon on the Mount, and in our text last week, Jesus addresses and reorients the sorts of teachings his disciples had heard. Remember the formula, you have heard, I say, so what? For instance, you have heard that you should not murder. I say, if you hate or insult your brother, you're liable to judgment. So what? So be peacekeepers, be peacemakers, settle conflict. Don't hate your brother. Don't incubate bitterness in your heart. Righteousness, we learned last week, is not arbitrary obedience to a, a man-made threshold. Righteousness is not lowering the bar of the law to make it easier to follow than following that path of least resistance and then patting ourselves on the back for how good we are. In fact, Jesus would argue and argues in the Sermon on the Mount that that whole mindset is flawed. That the law is more about choosing not to hate and choosing intentionally to love. Righteousness is moral perfection. Righteousness is moral perfection. This morning, Jesus moves from what his disciples may have heard to what his disciples have seen. If last week was the doctrines that they heard taught, this week he turns his attention to the religious practices his fledgling disciples have seen displayed in the world around them. We zone in on three, but this morning we pay particular attention to two, and we'll address the third uh, a bit more next week. You're familiar with giving to the poor. You're familiar with prayer. And you're familiar with fasting. A, a lot of folks are doing these things, but they're doing them for the wrong reasons. And with them, even though they're doing things, God is not pleased. Because they're not so interested in giving to the poor. They're interested in you knowing they give to the poor. They're not so interested in praying. They're interested in you knowing they pray. They're not so interested in fasting. They're interested in others seeing them fast and wishing they could be as committed to their religion as they are. I'll argue this morning they have a first century version of what we may call an Instagram righteousness. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Instagram, it's a social media platform on which users and addicts post photos of themselves and the world around them and receive likes from their peers, friends, enemies, and frenemies. Their religion is all show. It's no substance. It's about likes, not love. It's for me and my reputation, not Christ and his kingdom. Come those of us in danger of being just like them. Come those of us in danger of an Instagram righteousness. Let us hear the word of the Lord and let us find a still more excellent way. The big idea for this morning, let us learn to practice our righteousness do the stuff of religion, right? Pray, fast, give, etc., etc. Let us learn to practice our righteousness 
in a way that treasures God above all things and trusts God in all things. So let's practice our righteousness in ways that treasure God above all things and trust God in all things. Let's look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. This first verse is a sort of thesis verse of really the rest of the chapter, this whole portion of the letter. Jesus applies this principle, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He applies it to giving, giving to the poor, giving to the needy, to praying, and to fasting. As I mentioned earlier in the introduction, we'll explore this as it relates to giving to the poor and prayer. In these words, Jesus issues a strong warning to flee performative religion. Now, before we jump into this thesis statement, before we see how this is going to flesh itself out in the examples Jesus gives and the lives of his disciples, we must ask a question. Not long ago, just a couple of weeks, we read a passage where Jesus teaches that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. If the salt loses its saltiness, how will it ever do its job? If the light is hidden, how will it ever do its job? Is the command or the, the truth that we are the light of the world at odds with the teaching this morning that we will unpack? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you give, do it in secret. When you pray, do it in private. Does this conflict, do these ideas conflict in any way? Uh, I'll argue no, because Jesus is speaking, speaking broadly yet poignantly to various temptations his disciples will face as they live a countercultural kingdom life. And there are two major temptations that as followers of Jesus we face as we engage with the world around us. They look polar opposite, but they come from the same source. The first temptation is to hide. Because of our cowardice, we don't want to stick out. We don't want people to notice that we're different because if they notice that we're different, they'll see us, they'll ask questions, and they'll think we're weird. We don't want people to see the things that make us different. We're ashamed of them. We want to hide them because of our cowardly hearts. But how will others come to know why we're different if they don't even know that we're different? Our faith is private and personal in some respects, but it is lived out publicly. The first temptation we face as Christians is to hide and cluster ourselves off from the world. The second temptation is to perform. Because of our vanity, we want people to like us, right? Because of our cowardice, we don't want people to see us. But because of our vanity... We want people to see us and like us. We want others to see that we are different because they want, we want them to think more highly of us, that we are more moral, that we are more righteous, that we are more ethical, that we are in some ways better than someone else. The problem here is self-evident. In this scheme, we become the show. It's not about others seeing our good works and glorifying God. It's about us doing good works so that others will see our good works so that they may see that we, in some ways, are good. These temptations seem different. One is to hide and one is to perform. One flees the stage and the other sprints to the stage. 
But what brings them together? They share a common source, pride. Pride. Because the person who flees and the person who runs, the person who hides and the person who performs are both thinking about who? Themselves. I think it's C.S. Lewis. It's one of those quotes that no one even really knows who said it. It just gets thrown around so much, right? Pride's not thinking less of yourself necessarily. Pride is thinking of yourself less. So Jesus is speaking to these motives, these temptations that lie in sinful human hearts. Here's a tool to help you navigate this. Uh, it was helpful for me in preparation. When you think about living out your faith, when do I, when, when, when public, right? When private. Um, show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Here's, here's what I mean. When you feel in your conscience, when the Holy Spirit leads you to notice that, man, I'm kind of doing this so others will see me, then stop. If you're getting ready to post that picture of your beautiful little Bible study set up, and you realize, this is actually the first time I've read my Bible all week, then you're portraying an image that isn't reflective of a reality. In that moment, yeah, but come on, man, if they read their Bible once, they read it a hundred times, right? When you're tempted to hide, oh, I don't want them to see this happen. I don't want, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to explain this. I don't want this. Don't hide. We could apply this to a myriad of examples. I, I think just off the top of my head about uh, a praying in a restaurant, right? When you're getting ready to get your food. Um, there are folks who will pray in such a way that the whole restaurant knows that there's some Christians in the house. You know what I'm saying? It's loud and it's long, and it's like, bro, God, like the food is blessed, and there's only so much God can do with his Big Mac to bless it for your body, you know? Um, but then there's the others who are like, oh my gosh, if someone sees me praying, that will be so humiliating, so embarrassing. To the person who wants the whole world to see them, man, tone it down a little bit. Like, are you praying, or has the performance become the, the point here? But, but to the person that's hiding it is, maybe your praying is the encouragement that someone else needs. I, we want to draw hard lines in the sand. We want to make black and white answers when reality is not like that. When you're tempted to show off, you slow down. When you're tempted to hide, maybe speed up. Walk in that perfect balance of private and public. Walk like Jesus. Jesus treasured his Father above all things. Jesus trusted his Father in all things. We're able to strike this balance well, I'll argue, when we treasure God above all things and when we trust God in all things. Let's look at verse 2. Let's work out that thesis. Let's work out that principle. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The first thing I want us to notice just about the, the lay of the land here is when you give to the needy. Again, Jesus is not upending religion itself, per se. Some of that language is unhelpful. He is upending religion's aim and religion's heart. 
the practice of giving to the needy, the practice of repeatedly giving to the needy, the practice of setting up ways by which you give to uh, the synagogue and the synagogue disperses to the needy, is not wrong. In fact, it's good and mandated in the law. Following Jesus is not freedom from these sorts of religious practices. It's redemption of these sort of religious practices. Jesus is teaching his disciples, you've seen these guys that go and give to the needy, they, they sound these trumpets. Like, don't stop giving to the needy. But start asking why you're giving to the needy and be very, very wary of how you're giving to the needy. Don't be like those hypocrites that you've seen. You guys know the types. They give so that they may be seen and praised by others. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. That word praised, as the hypocrites do in the streets and the synagogues, that they may be praised, is doxazo, and it's the same word that is used back when we're talking about the city on a hill that can't be hidden, that they may see your good works, and doxazo is praise your Father in heaven. That same word is used intentionally. It highlights the grotesque reversal of outcomes. The hypocrites aren't giving to praise God. They're giving that they may be praised. It's never a good idea to seek God's glory for ourselves. Get this. The hypocrite puts himself in the place of worship instead of the posture of worship. The hypocrite puts himself in the place of worship instead of the posture of worship. Why has he done that? Because he's his own treasure. Jesus will go on to teach in this sermon that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The hypocrite puts himself in a position of glory, or a position to receive worship, rather than a posture to give worship, because he is his own treasure of greatest Price. His heart is fixed on himself. He treasures his own glory more than God's glory. So everything the hypocrite does is not to give glory to God. It's to give glory to that which they treasure most, which is what? Themselves. So if you're a hypocrite and you are in the place of worship, so everything you do is supposed to somehow show how good you are, how holy you are, how powerful you are, how smart you are, then the last thing you would ever do is anything in secret. <laughs> like, why would a hypocrite who wants others to see how generous he is, why would they ever give in secret? That defeats their whole purpose of giving. The hypocrite has no value in giving to a poor person that the world will never know about because that doesn't lead to the praise of that which they value most. If I don't get credit, the hypocrite would say, why do I give? Now, that heart might seem distant to some of you, but I would argue that heart is very near all of us. If I don't get credit, why would I serve? If no one knows, why would I do anything? think we're more uh, conditioned to seek praise than we think we are. Yeah, you might get a lot of praise, but Jesus teaches all that praise you get, 
That's all you're going to get. When you give in secret, though, something more profound is happening. When you give in secret, your father sees in secret, and he'll reward you. I don't know what that reward is, but I guarantee that my God gives better gifts than anybody else. I know it's better, and it's way better, and it's more lasting, and it's more abiding than a hundred likes and a few pats on the back. When you treasure God, your religion is for God. And it doesn't matter who sees it or who doesn't see it. You don't need the validation of other people. When you're resting in the affirmation of God the Father, I don't need someone else to think I'm awesome when I know how deeply and sincerely loved I am by the God of the universe. No one out there has anything to give us better than what we receive from God himself. Treasure Christ more than yourself, and you'll obey Christ when there is no praise. Treasure Christ more than yourself, and you'll obey Christ even when there is no praise. Treasure Christ and trust Christ in the way you give to the needy. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your rooms and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, Jesus is assuming the continuation of a religious practice. When you pray, not if you so choose to pray in this new reality which Jesus has ushered in. No, in light of who Jesus is and in his coming, when you pray now, this is how I want you to pray. The content of such prayers we'll jump into next week. I know most of us struggle with prayer, so we're going to give a whole lot of time next week to uh, how to pray, what to pray, and, and kind of what that looks like in the Lord's prayer. The hypocrites have done with prayer what they've done with giving. They've made it another means to receive praise for themselves. You know, they stand up and pray in the synagogues and on street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, it's not a one-to-one -one translation, um, but as this text works its way through time and space, we could say something like, they love to stand up during testimony time and pray real loud for everyone to hear. And they love to post these really long prayers on Facebook that are somewhat sanctimonious because they want everyone to see their prayers. They want everyone to see how spiritual they are. And what's their reward for such activity? Everyone sees how spiritual they are. Sometimes others look up to them. Sometimes others come to their church. Sometimes others will buy their books. Sometimes others will come to their conferences, but that's it. That's their reward. Hey, young disciple, when you pray, 
Stop looking at the guy on the street corner as the model of how to pray. Stop looking at the guy who gets up at the synagogue because he thinks he has a lot to say and prays for 20 minutes every weekend. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and don't let anyone see you. They've received their reward. If they want a pat on the back, they get hundreds of pats on the back. If they want likes, they get all the likes they get. If they want stature, they get all the stature they get. If they want the appearance of godliness but deny the power of godliness, as Paul would say, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of godliness, sure. Hey, young disciples, Jesus teaches, don't be like them. Stop taking your cues from how to pray for them. Jesus will teach, take your cues on how to pray from me. When you pray, first of all, let's get the setting right. Don't just go out on the street corner and pray. Don't make a big thing about prayer in schools and we're going to pray here and it's this big political thing that we're going to celebrate. No, just go into the classroom and shut the door and pray. Don't let anyone see you. What's the reward for this kind of prayer? I'm not entirely sure again here, but I know at the very least the reward for this kind of prayer is an abiding walk with Jesus Christ. At the very least, it's knowing God. It's an intimacy with him that is so fulfilling. It doesn't need anything else that when I go into my room and pray in private, that I don't even care that no one's seeing because I know who is seeing, and he's the one who created all things. And not only am I praying to him, he is commuting with me by the presence and power of his spirit. Hey, disciples, young disciples, don't be like the hypocrites. Treasure God in your spiritual disciplines. Treasure God when you open your Bible. Treasure God when you pray. Treasure God when you do all things. And trust God in those spiritual disciplines. When I treasure God in my prayer, I can trust God in my prayer. Not to stomp on next week's sermon, but to get the idea of the text. Jesus shows us how to pray in a way that treasures God and trusts God. We begin our Father who art in heaven. What? Hallowed be thy name. May your name be made known. May your name be made holy. The first thing that the disciple prays when they come to God is may the whole world see how great you are. May your name be lifted up. May it be less about me and more about you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted. May you be treasured from my heart to the heavens. He'll go on to say, give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but, but deliver us. From evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God, help us treasure you above all things and help us trust you to provide our daily bread. Help us trust you in the everyday stuff of life to give us everything we need to be faithful to where you've called us to be. Deliver us from evil. Help us flee from temptation. Holy Spirit, we trust you're doing this. We trust you hear these prayers. We trust you answer these prayers. Jesus will have much more to say in the sermon about God answering these prayers when we ask, seek, and knock. 
we trust that these private prayers are more powerful than sanctimonious public prayers. We trust that these prayers in private places will move the hand that guides the world. I love the language in the old uh, King James from James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Pharisee, the hypocrite, has to pray so all can see because that's what their religion is about. But the disciple of Jesus is free to pray when no one sees and no one knows because our religion is all about treasuring God and trusting God and seeking God's kingdom here on earth. Healthy spiritual disciplines flow from hearts that treasure and trust God. Healthy spiritual disciplines flow from hearts that treasure and trust God. As we wake, make our way to a conclusion, go ahead and tell some of the residents to come down for the Lord's uh, Supper, the ones that take part. Uh, Nathan, Ryan, whoever's on the keys, uh, come on. It's actually Ryan. And by the way, I wanted to just give Ryan a shout out because I'm over there kind of getting ready for the Apostles' Creed, and Ryan's at the keys playing the guitar. I'm like, my goodness, that'd be like trying to preach and do something here. I was just so impressed. He got the keys and the guitar. I was like, I could never do that. So good job, Ryan. Bring it back in. That's more for me than you. Jesus is not interested in how spiritual other people think you are. Jesus is interested in who you really are. The hypocrite puts himself in a position of worship to receive praise, to receive glory, to receive honor. But the faithful one puts himself in a posture of worship, not to receive praise, but to be a conduit of praise by which God himself is praised. A question for your reflection in a moment. Do I want others to praise me? Or do I want others to praise God? Now, you'll answer that how you've been conditioned by countless hours in church to answer that. But I challenge you to ask it anew in a fresh way, asking the Holy Spirit to give you some clarity on that question. Because I've picked up on a trend in a society like ours, we still somewhat are here in the Canal Valley, um, in societies with a lot of social pressure to look a certain way, uh, many folks will come to church to sort of uh, get that thing, that image that they know they need to put out there. They'll come to church looking for a place that their kids like, that they can tolerate for an hour and 10 minutes, that will help them build an image of health and an image of wholeness. Sometimes people can come to church um, looking to just get our lives together so that our parents will be proud of us, so that our kids will be raised with a moral structure, so that uh, other people will think I'm a good guy. We're joking ourselves if we don't think there are many folks who come to church because they'll get business out of it or votes out of it or attention out of it or friends out of it, whatever you may be. 
So some folks will come to church looking to get their life together so that their so-and-so will finally think they've made something of themselves. I hate to break it to you. This is partially true. When you come to Jesus, he starts putting the pieces together and health and wholeness come. But I, I hate to break this part of it to you. When you come to church, our job isn't simply to help you get your life together, though we'll do that. Our job is to help you get your life together and give it away. <laughs> our job is to help you get your life together and lay it down at the foot of Jesus. Together we point each other to the one who's worthy of all praise. We do religious things like giving, praying, fasting, not because we are good or to build an image, but because he is good. And these things help us know that. Our religion is not the means by which we build lives that are more Instagrammable, that are more Facebookable. Our religion is the means by which we learn together to treasure Christ above all things and to trust Christ in all things. The point is not me and my image. The point is Christ and his kingdom. This is a better way to live because when we treasure Christ and when we trust Christ, we are free. We are free to be anonymous. We are free to not be seen. We are free to not be appreciated by other people. We are free to serve, free to give, free to die for the cause of Christ and his kingdom. Why? Because our Father sees us when no one else does. He loves us like no one else does. And he can reward us in a way that no one else can. Are you or am I falling victim to an Instagram righteousness that gives the appearance of godliness but lacks the power thereof? A diagnostic question because you're not going to be like, yes, I'm falling right into that trap. Well, some of you may. But ask, how am I faithful to God in ways that no one else will ever know? I'm not saying that you should not talk about your Bible. I'm not saying, I'm, we're speaking directly to the temptation this morning to perform. So my question is, how am I faithful to God? How am I living out my religion in ways that no one else sees? Because if I start to think about my life and I'm never doing any religious activity that's not for someone to see, then I have to ask where my heart is. I have to ask where my treasure is. Am I the spectator and spectacle consumed with my performative identity and judging the performance I see around me? Here's an example from my life, just so I can be transparent and as the shepherd shepherd us to think about these things. I deeply care about global missions. Like nothing fires me up more than understanding the reality that the glory of God will be made known to the nations and we must take the gospel to the nations. 
One of our distinctives here at Resurrection, our fifth distinctive, is that we help take the gospel to the nations. We pray, we give, we go on short-term trips to assist our long-term partners and indigenous partners. We go on long-term tenures. So I'm this champion in many ways of, of missions. But I have set up on my phone uh, a prayer, the prayer app that I uh, announced several months ago that our partners in India use to sort of help us pray through villages. And it's set to go off at 10.15, right? So I'm not a morning person, so by then hopefully I'm up for a little bit and I'm seeing straight and I've had some coffee and I'm, I'm kind of, but I'm not yet, you know, I, my mornings are usually slow. I have scheduled meetings in the mornings and not much and then I have lunch and then etc. And so I, I kind of scheduled it at a time where I'd be up, that I wouldn't be too busy yet, to remind me at 10.15 to pray. And all I got to do is click pray, and it'll give a little scripture, ready, set, go, and I'll, I'll hit it, and it'll say, pray for XYZ village in Betul subdistrict of this state, Madhya Pradesh, India. So I'll pray that then for a minute and stop. And I, I just realized that I had like snoozed it every day for a week or two. <laughs> so I cared about the gospel going to the nations when I'm up here. Uh, but when push came to shove and I had an opportunity that no one else would see, that no one else would know, I chose instead of hitting pray, hitting ignore. And I don't share that so you know, you think a certain type of way about me. I share that at risk of you thinking a certain type of way about me, but uh, I share that to let you know that performative righteousness is a danger for every single one of us. That every day is a battle. I'm going to choose to be who I am, not who others want me to be. Now, I slipped up. I, that was wrong. That was hypocritical. But here's the beautiful truth of the gospel. God didn't beat me over the head about it. Instead of beating me over the head about it, God wraps me in grace about it. And then when you get that notification the next day, you hit pray. And when you pray, you're talking to God in private. And that God in private isn't holding against you the sins that you made in private yesterday. He is faithful to forgive us when we confess our sins, and he welcomes us back with open arms. God wraps us in his grace who have the propensity to perform. He says, come, sinner, come. You don't have to perform anymore. Church, this morning Jesus offers you and me something far greater than Instagram righteousness. Through his blood, the Father calls us through the blood of Jesus the Father calls us to himself with our broken and or carefully crafted image in your complete obscurity and in your failed dreams God calls you to himself to embrace a religion and a religious life that treasures him above anything and trusts him in everything I'm going to pray for us and give us a moment of reflection before we come to the Lord's table Father, it's uh, uh, praying in public is interesting. 
after such a self-examination in these passages of Scripture, um, we know we can be hypocrites. We can, we can put off something that is just not true about us. Show us this morning that there's no glory in that. And not only is there no glory in that, there's no joy in that. There's no hope in that. There's no love in that. Father, help us be disciples who don't need the affirmation of others, but who rest in your affirmation. Help us be disciples who don't have to manufacture outcomes. We need these people to see us giving, these people to see us praying, so this and this can happen. But help us say, God, I'm going to give in secret. I'm going to pray in secret, and I'm going to trust you with the results. Help us honor you in the way we live out our religion. Help us practice our righteousness in such a way that treasures you above anything else and trust you in everything else. Holy Spirit, show us this morning in this place where we need to confess our sins, repent of our sins, and turn to your grace and your arms that stand open for us. In church, I invite you to spend a couple minutes in reflection.